This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Welcome to the Better Samaritan Podcast, where we seek to do good better. From everyday acts of kindness to navigating the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society. I'm excited to bring to you today's conversation with two friends of mine, Jen and Josh Hook. Jen is the founder and executive director of an organization called Replanted. She previously worked as a trauma therapist for children and adolescents in foster care and speaks frequently on topics related to adoption and foster care support, mental health, and trauma. Josh is a professor of psychology at the University of North Texas, where he teaches multicultural counseling and positive psychology. He's also a licensed clinical psychologist whose research interests includes humility, religion, and spirituality, and multicultural counseling. Together, Josh and Jen have co-written two books, including Replanted, Faith-Based Support for Foster and Adoptive Families and Thriving Families, a trauma-informed guidebook for the foster care adoptive journey. They live in Texas with their two children, but they met through the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. So Jen actually used to be managing director, and Josh was a colleague working on a grant project, and we deployed to Baton Rouge, and now they're married, and here they are today sharing about the important work that they do. Jen and Josh, welcome, and so glad to have both of you here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Jamie. Well, for those of you that don't know Jen Hook and Josh Hook, these are two of my just people that I love the most out there. So really excited that they're here with us and have been longtime friends and collaborators. So Josh and I have done a lot of research together and Jen and I actually used to work together. Mm-hmm. So excited to have the chance to connect with both of you. Yeah, good to be here. So maybe you guys could kind of start off and just share a little bit here about how did you kind of first get interested in the world of foster care and also how have you tried to bring together your mental health background with this specific issue? Yeah, that's a great question. Once I actually graduated from Wheaton College with my master's in clinical psych, I was working as a therapist in the foster care system. And I was doing trauma counseling with kids, like three to 18, and then also birth parents who were trying to reunify with their children. And my eyes were just really open to the realities of this is hard. You know, our kids have experienced really hard things. Foster parents are stepping in and trying to hold that space of our kids going home. Are they not helping them heal through their trauma experiences? It was hard. And I just saw a lot of my families really feeling misunderstood, isolated, my kids getting labeled as bad, the troublemakers, the defiant children, things like that. And people weren't understanding the influence of trauma and how that impacts children and their emotional and mental health. And especially seeing the church, you know, encouraging families to foster or adopt, but then not showing up when families said yes to that journey. And so a lot of families stepped in thinking, I'm doing the Lord's work, and this is something that's near and dear to God's heart. And then we weren't seeing a lot of support happening afterwards. And I think as a therapist, we know support is the number one predictor of mental health outcomes for families. And so, you know, for me, I just really wanted to do something to change that and change trajectories for families, for kids, and that whole experience in general. And so we started Replanted, which has become a nonprofit organization now that provides support to foster and adoptive families, because there's so many unique experiences. And I think that's what's hard, right? Like, 
you know, I remember my uh, a seven year old boy coming to my counseling room, and you know, his mom had been addicted to substances. And how do you talk to your friends at school about like? Why won't my mom get sober? Does she not love me? You know, I don't know who my birth dad is. Like these are hard conversations to have, but they're so real and something that's very present for our kids. And then same with foster parents, right? Feeling like this is a really hard journey and feeling really misunderstood around the uniqueness of what that journey looks like. And so we really wanted to empower churches and communities to say, hey, we love you. We see you. We want to be the hands and feet of Christ to you. So that means we need to become trauma-informed. We need to understand your realities. You know, how do you as a foster parent walk alongside a birth family? That's not typical, you know, or how do you have an open relationship? Or how do you say goodbye to a child you loved and cared for for three years that's going home now and, and holding that grief, right? There's just so much that's happening for our families. And so, yeah, so that's what we set out to do. And it's been 11 years now that we've been supporting families, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) But yeah, I think the mental health component is significant, right? You cannot have a child come into a home through adoption or foster care without them experiencing trauma. We know kids and babies experience trauma, even in utero separation from their, their birth mother the person who they know their heartbeat and their smell and their voice, you know, those, and then, you know, kids having situations that lead to them being placed in foster care and the trauma that that's uh, been for them as well. And so, you know, what kids can't talk about, they act out. Hmm. And so it was really important to us that we helped the community understand like these kids are precious and they're awesome. And we really need to understand what they're going through to be able to meet their needs well. And same with birth families. And, you know, a lot of us have experiences that we're working through and what does healing look like in that way. And so being able to provide that trauma-informed resource, I think is really important when you're supporting families who have, who have walked through adoption or foster care. Yeah. Just, you know, hearing you share there, just the need is so overwhelming at times, you know, Josh curious, how did you first get involved in this? And I think I may know the answer here, but (laughs) I still feel like I need to ask. Yeah, for sure. So I think for me, really my engagement with this topic and with, with this material is really through Jen. And we started dating and got married. And if you've ever been around Jen, like her passion is infectious Mm -hmm. and her energy is infectious. And so this was something where I kind of had the opportunity to join with her in that. So for me, my background is I am a counseling psychologist and a professor at the University of North Texas. So I do a lot of research and writing and supervision of students. And so Yeah, it's been super fun to join with Jen and helping with the conference and and craft that. And then also do some writing. We've written a couple books together. And some of my students in my lab too have been interested in adoption and foster care issues. And we've done some research over the years too together. So yeah, that's that's been my engagement. It's been it was something where in my training I hadn't done a lot of work with kids. Some work with families, but not a lot of work with kids. And so it's been a new area for me to learn and, and grow in, which has been really fun. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, when I think about you two and the work that you've done together with Replanted, as well as with some of the writing that you guys are doing that really live out, I think kind of what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast of, you know, doing good better. And I think you guys are a great example of what it looks like to be people of faith that have come together with your faith, but also with research to then meet a real world need. So appreciate what you guys are doing there. So, so much that we could get into here. You know, Jen, when I was just, I was kind of making some notes here 
about some of those different pieces that you kind of talked about, some of the challenges that families face. And I think that could be what we do for the podcast for like every episode if we were going to try to tackle each one of those. So knowing we've only got 30 minutes today, can't get through all of those, but I do want to make sure to step back a little bit and find out a little bit more, if you could, sharing about Replanted and about some of the initiatives that you have all are doing. And then I want to make sure to pivot to talk about some of the important thoughts and ideas that you've shared in your recent book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we started Replanted, I think, you know, I I just mentioned that, you know, support is key and is the number one predictor of family outcomes. When you go through something really challenging and you can sit down with somebody that can say, same here, me too, I've been through that, that creates this bond and connection. You know, I'm not alone. Someone else knows what I'm going through. They understand my feelings and my experience. And that's something that is, that becomes a lifeline for people, you know. My husband and I really struggled with infertility and, you know, we had to go down this long road of that. And so when I talk to other people struggling with it, we're like instant best friends, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure Jamie too, with you, right. And your cancer, when you connect with other people around that, there's something that's really helpful about that emotional support. And so with Replanted, we wanted to create that space for families. And so our two biggest initiatives are we help churches and organizations around the U.S. and Canada, because I'm Canadian, (laughs) launch support groups. Because when parents can sit down with other parents who understand their uniqueness, who get it, you're speaking the same language, there's something just really comforting and supportive about that. And then same with kids, right? Kids being able to sit down and say, like, I don't know who my birth dad is, or I don't know if I'm going home to my mom, or all of the things that we're, we're wrestling with internally when you can vocalize it and get support from someone else who's been through it, that is just becomes a huge lifeline. And so when we launched Replanted, we said we're not going to encourage anyone to foster or adopt unless we have a support system to plug them into because we know about 50% of foster parents quit after year one due to lack of support mm-hmm. and about 10 to 30% of adoptions end in relinquishment. And again, it's primarily due to lack of support. And so we said we need to have support that exists. That was something that was just not really non-existent. And, you know, when we started in 2012, and we we felt like the church really needed to play a key role. And so we wanted to empower churches to be able to see the need and meet that need. And so that's why we help people launch support groups. And then the other thing we do is we host a conference and it's a big undertaking with this conference. I tell you, it's so it's like, it's one of my favorite things we do. It's like a retreat meets a conference. So you get all this information and educational resources that are unique to the foster and adoptive journey. And then it's smashed in with this like connection and community and being with your people and people that truly understand what you're going through. And so, you know, at the conference, we give everyone, all parents get a same here paddle. And, you know, just sitting in a general session, listening to a speaker that might say, this journey's harder than I ever thought it was going to be. And you get to raise your same here paddle and you look around the room and you see hundreds of other people lifting their paddles up too. And you realize I'm not alone. Like it's so validating. You feel heard, you feel seen, you feel cared for. And also then let's go to some really great breakouts and learn how to be a transracial family or how to honor your child's story, or let's learn about trauma as well, or how to have an open adoption, you know? So we kind of do this both and, but that emotional spiritual support, I think is really invaluable. And that's really what we try to strive to create. 
It's been really fun to see your conference just take off in the way that it has. And it's always fun for me to kind of follow along on social media and like just seeing some of those pictures, you know, that you guys are sharing that one thing that stands out to me is seeing that sense of renewal that seems to happen for so many of the people that attend, uh, you know, seeing that you are also taking care of the caregiver in these sorts of situations. So Josh, as you've been involved in this work with Jen and, you know, coming from a research perspective, what's maybe been something that's kind of surprised you? as a researcher, as you've kind of started to dig into this uh, particular issue? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll share this. I remember reading a book called The Connected Child, and it was by Karen Purvis, who who has done a lot of work in Mm -hmm. this area. And it was talking about parenting and parenting kids who have uh, been through adoption and foster care. And it was so like the interventions and the things that they were talking about was, were so good. And like, I remember feeling like, wow, this is such great material. And then I also was aware of the fact that parents don't always get that training Hmm. and they don't always get access to those resources. And so that was one thing I was like, wow, we have all this great training material and parents need this and how many are, are getting it and how many are not getting it. And then also I was aware of feeling like this is really, really difficult stuff when you have kids who have certain challenges. And that's part of kind of what we're trying to do in Replanted. We're trying to get parents the resources they need so that they can be the most effective parent possible. And then also come alongside them and help them in the journey and connect them in community so they can have this help and support to actually do the work Mm -hmm. with their kids. So anyways, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but it's sort of locked into what I think we're trying to do with, with replanted. Yeah. I mean, I think what you guys are doing is so unique and really means such a need, just like what you're talking about, that there's that good information, but sometimes that's not enough, right? We have to have people like yourselves that can come along, translate it, and actually get it into the hands of people. So appreciate how you're doing that. Speaking of resources, let's talk about your new book, Thriving Families, a Trauma-Informed Guidebook. So how did this idea kind of come about? You know, share just a little bit of Yeah, I think it came out of some of our lived experiences, especially walking alongside families. And for me, walking alongside kiddos for a number of years and providing that trauma counseling. You know, there's there is a lot of uniqueness to the journey. I think that people outsiders, especially don't fully understand people living it, understand it more, obviously. But there's so much complexity in how to navigate it well, you know, a lot of times families step into adoption and foster care and they'll get the trauma resources, but then it's like, oh goodness, how do I navigate these conversations with my kids? How do I have a relationship with their birth family if that's part of it? You know, we've adopted a child of a different race. You know? Right there. So, and let's actually jump into some of those particular questions, right? Yeah. So if I'm listening and I heard you mention those, I'd be asking, okay, so how do I actually do those things? Right. So choose one of those and let's kind of jump into that. Yeah. So I think, you know, for us, we we wanted to have a really authentic book that was kind of eyes wide open, you know, to the realities that parents go through, but then also support systems could really understand and empathize and, and support well a family who's a foster adoptive family. So for example, one of our chapters might be around the inherent grief and loss that's in adoption and foster care for our kids, you know, and so being able to honor like all kids coming into our homes, a lot of times we think, and for a long time, the church kind of I don't want to say 
not glamorized, but there was this mentality of like, we're going in and we're rescuing these kids and this is such Mm -hmm. great work. And now they're coming into our homes. And why is this hard? Like, why are the kids struggling? Like, we're safe. We're awesome. They're in a huge home. They've got a bedroom now. They're not sleeping on a couch, you know, with four of their siblings. They've got food from us. Why are these kids struggling? You know, and you'd hear things sometimes from parents, like they're not grateful to us or parents were feeling blindsided. And I think what parents were missing and support systems and the church at large was misunderstanding was a child lost their birth family. That was not supposed to happen, but it happens because of our broken world. And that's lost. Whether that child knew tangibly their family and had a relationship with them and was separated from them later in life, whether they've never known them, there's still that innate desire we have for our birth families. And when we lose that, there's an emotional experience that we go through and we understand that over time differently as we develop but how do we step into our child's story and honor like, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to have the questions of like, what if I could have stayed with my birth family? What if I got to still live in South Korea with my mom? You know, mm-hmm. how do we create space for all those feelings that kids might be going through and honor like they're part of our family now and we love you? How do we hold both of those tensions and experiences? And so we really kind of tried to step into some of the pieces where it's like a little maybe uncomfortable but we need maybe a bit of a mindset shift or an increase in empathy and understanding around what might have been the experience for kids. And we also do that for the parents too, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of foster and adoptive parents are very misunderstood, judged, criticized for their parenting strategies for kids with trauma histories. And so each chapter kind of takes a different topic and we really dive deep into what that looks like. We get very practical suggestions and interventions on how to help you support your child or yourself or your family through that process. But a lot of books focused on just the trauma, which is important. We talk about the trauma as well. That's that you have to, you can't not talk about trauma when it comes to foster care and adoption, but not as many people were talking about how can you be in relationship with birth families, even ones that you feel like, you know, maybe there's safety concerns, but your child is like, that's my mom what are some suggestions there? You know, and so we talk about it. What are some suggestions? Can we create, can we get a PO box where you write letters? Can we have a Google voice number? You know, there's ways to still be in relationship and have safety boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. What does it look like as well to maybe introspectively look at and see, are we just afraid of having that double relationship? Like having our children have a relationship with their birth family and us, does that feel threatening? You know, Mm -hmm. so we kind of dive into a lot of things that might be coming up for us emotionally but then also we get practical suggestions and things like that too. So Great. And so Josh, what are maybe a couple of those kind of practical suggestions that Jen was alluding to there? Yeah, well, one chapter that was kind of near and dear to my heart, and hopefully this can be helpful for folks, is the chapter on culture and cultural adjustment and family adjustment. And sometimes adoptive and foster parents may not think about cultural adjustment much, or they might think, that when the child comes into their family, they kind of expect the child almost to adopt and kind of uh, assimilate into the family's culture and the culture that the family has set up. And we really encourage 
parents to think critically about culture, especially if the adoption or foster placement is transracial in nature. And just a couple of quick examples, thinking about the environment of the town or the church or the school that the family is in, how diverse is it? Is the child going to be the only child of color, for example, in the church and school? And if possible, is it possible to diversify your friend group and your community so that the child feels more at home? So there's more mm-hmm. families that look like you. I think mentors are really important, kind of the understanding that you can't be all things for your child. And it's important to connect your child to people in the community who may share their racial ethnic background. I think another point with this kind of cultural and family adjustment is that we all have kind of unspoken traditions or ways of doing things that we have developed as a family. And When a child comes in, they may have their own traditions or ways of doing things. And a lot of times I think we don't think about that too much. And, but what that, when we don't think about that, we kind of just expect the child to, it's almost like we're standing on opposite sides of the room and Mm -hmm. we expect the child to come all the way over to our side. So, you know, for example, is there a way to talk to your child about, Hey, what traditions do you like? Or did you have in your family growing up? And is there a way we can, kind of work together to incorporate some of those traditions or those ways of doing things into what we are building as a family. I think that can be really helpful to honor where the child is coming from and let the child know that they have a voice here and we want to honor and respect that. Well, you know, as I hear both of you sharing some of these different experiences that you've had and and the insights that you've shared, I have to admit, it feels a little overwhelming, right? Like the challenges that families working with foster care face. So you've been sharing here about how to help others. So one of the things that we talk about too here on the podcast is how do we also care well for ourselves when we know that when we're trying to do good, that those can lead to some challenges for us as helpers. What's I'd love to hear from each of you kind of one maybe story that helps keep you kind of going and doing this work. Because I know that for you all, it's not just thinking about this experience, but you're also being touched by the stories and experiences of all of these people, right? That as you're talking about these challenges, I know that it's not just this abstract thing, but in the back of your head, you're probably mentally picturing that mom or that dad that shared that story with you. So what's maybe one positive that kind of keeps you going? I can share a story that I thought was really interesting. And you know, sometimes we talk about some in our books about the realities of that sometimes parents can face burnout and have difficulties themselves and have difficulties loving and caring for their children when they're struggling themselves. One of my friends, Andrew Schneidler, who's a foster dad and does a lot of work in this area, he shared a story about, he likened the adoption and foster journey to kind of going down a river in a canoe. And he said that, you know, maybe you see a child like flailing around in the water and you paddle over and you put the child in the canoe and and you continue down the river and everything's fine. But then you see another child and you want to help that child. And and the same thing, you bring them into the canoe and then it's okay. And then you travel down the river, there's another child and you bring them into the canoe and then the canoe starts to get a little wobbly and it starts to tip. And before long, maybe it turns over, capsizes. And that's what we really want to avoid. And so, you know, I think it's really important for parents to think critically about their bandwidth and what they have the ability to do. So we encourage parents, like even when you're thinking about a placement or considering a new placement to think about, you know, how is the family doing? How are the parents doing? How are any existing kids doing in terms of physical health, mental health? Where are people at? Is the family ready to take on a new, a new placement? And then I also, you know, I'm very much encouraging at all times counseling help, not only for the kids, but also for the parents. 
And I know sometimes in Christian communities, there can still be maybe a negative kind of stigma toward counseling and getting help. And I don't know, I'm biased because I'm a counseling psychologist and, and I just returned to going to counseling myself. And so it's kind of, but I, I always just want to stress that it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something we all have difficulties. We all have struggles and to get a second opinion or someone to help us alongside with that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's doing our due diligence and getting the help we need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is an important reminder for us of not just caring for others in our lives, but also the importance of caring for ourselves and that counseling is one of the ways that we can do that. How about you, Jen? Yeah, I was trying to think like what keeps us going or, you know, kind of that part of the question. This book really was written out of my experiences from all the kiddos that shared their stories with me in the counseling room. Those are really sacred to me. And it really opened my eyes to the reality. I think I did have that mindset, like foster and adopted parents are awesome. The kids have been through hard stuff. The birth parents suck. You know, they've done something terrible or, you know, made these choices. And I realized like, oh goodness, this is not the true reality. (laughs) I'll share a story from one of my clients that I had seen for a few years He loved his mom deeply. She had a substance uh, abuse issue, which was what led the kids to come into care. And he really wanted to go home to her. He loved her. He was cheering for her, all the things. And ultimately, she was not able to do what she needed to do. So for this little boy, he had to process some really heavy feelings around, I'm not going to be able to live with my mom again. And he was adopted by his foster family. And as we were processing and counseling and getting closer to the adoption day, they were planning a party for him. A lot of families do this, right? Your gotcha day or the adoption day, you see it on social media. Like I spent 482 days in foster care and now I'm getting adopted. And everyone thinks this is awesome. Like permanence, you know, this is great. And sometimes that is true. And a lot of times it's a lot more complicated than that. And so this little boy said to me, my adoption day is the saddest day of my life because it's a firm reminder and solidifying that I'm never going to be able to go home with my mom. And that just kind of hit my heart. Like, yeah, this is a miss. It's supposed to be a celebration, but for you, it's not. It's something that's really sad. And so this is partly why we wrote the book, but this is also why we create space for families in adoption and foster care because that's the emotions that parents are carrying, that kids are carrying, that everyone's carrying. And as the church, we need to show up in that mess and say, we're here for you. We're going to love you like Jesus. We're going to seek to understand your experience. And we don't have the answers. And, you know, our book is great, but a lot of times that's not going to fix. That's not the end all be all solution. A lot of our families are in this journey and it's, it's going to be long and it's going to be hard. And so I think, you know, when we host our replanted groups and we see kids connecting over their experiences, parents connecting, we actually just did like our ministry or feedback review and just parents just saying how invaluable that connection is to be with others who get it. You know, at our conference, we end our conference with a glow stick prayer. We have parents hold up glow sticks for every child they've ever cared for. So whether that child's been reunified or not, you have some parents holding up 50 glow sticks, you know, we have some parents holding up one because it's symbolic of a child they're hoping will come into their family through adoption. And we just spend time praying for all the kids and the families that are represented in the room. It's things like that, that really keep me going. Parents coming to us saying like, this keeps us going year after year. It reminds them that Jesus has got them, even if their situations aren't changing are going to be fixed, that they're loved, they're deeply cared for, they're seen, 
And then when we end it, we do an exit parade because the parents deserve to be celebrated. Let's be honest. <laughs> no one's cheering for us. <laughs> We're all like giving advice or whatever, but we just cheer for our parents, remind them like God loves you. We love you. We're here for you. So I think it's things like that when we see the tangible, like kind of reminder of what our parents are going through and seeing the joy and the experiences of being in community with others who get it. I think that takes us so far, you know. Well, what powerful images. So I'm going to definitely be keeping those images of both the canoe and the glow sticks. Uh, Yes. Surely there's got to be some metaphor where we can bring the glow sticks and the canoe together, but I'm not going to try to go there. So maybe (laughs) that's going to be your third book. Yeah, there. (laughs) Before we go, Josh, what's one thing that you would maybe say to a foster care parent who might be listening? What's that one thing that you would want them to hear today? Yeah, to the foster parents listening, I would say, yeah, I think I would say like, you know, God sees you, God loves you, you are engaged in important and holy work that is near and dear to the heart of God. And don't be afraid to get help and reach out and get support because the journey can be challenging. Great advice. And Jen, what's maybe one thing that you could leave us with that you would hope that the local church would hear? when they think about foster care issues? What's that kind of one takeaway you would hope that they would have? Yeah, my biggest takeaway would be that the church recognizes that our families are really struggling and need support and that they would really, you know, I really feel like Jesus would be like, even if I have one or two foster families in my church or adoptive families in my church, that they're so important and their value and their worth means that I would become trauma informed. I'd seek to understand their experiences and I would, you know, see what we can do to support those families' needs. I think I really see that as Jesus posture towards us, right? Being like saying, I love you so much. I'm going to do my part to love you well so that you feel safe and cared for and loved by this church, in this church, at Sunday service, whatever it means, whatever it takes, and that no one's beyond the healing, redemptive power of Jesus. So I would just encourage churches to embody that, to become trauma-informed themselves. I think churches need to be safe spaces where kids can come and feel loved and understood and know that they're safe and that we're not misunderstanding their trauma needs when they're in a Sunday school classroom having a huge meltdown and the volunteers might feel totally ill-equipped to understand how to meet that need that the church says, no, we know how to meet that need because we became trauma-informed because we know how important that is to our families. So, Great. Thank you for that wonderful insight. So as we wrap up here, where could people go that are listening that want to find out more about the book or Replanted? Where might you point them? You can go to our website, replantedministry.org. It has all of our information there. The books are there. The conference details are there. If you're interested in a support group and want to see if there's one in your community, you can check that out. If you're like, hey, there isn't, or I would love to start one, we provide resources and tools to help get you uh, launched and supporting families in that way. So replantedministry.org is a great way. Our, Our book, Thriving Families, is on Amazon and Christian Books and all the different platforms as well. And you can always reach out on our website too, if you want to do bulk orders or anything like that. But And then the conference, if you want to just go straight for the conference, that's this fall. It's a really great experience. We have some really great pre-conference sessions around trauma-informed care, substance exposure in utero. So if any of you are raising kids that were substance exposed, we have a whole pre-day conference just around that, strengthening your marriage. If you're a church leader that's like, hey, how do we do this more? We have a pre-conference for you. (laughs) 
And then just the conference in general. One thing I love about the conference is we amplify voices of adoptees, foster alumni and birth parents, and then obviously have some other keynote speakers and whatnot. It's a really fun, sacred event. And when and where is that? Yeah, so that's October 12 to 14 in Naperville, Illinois. We also give options to simulcast and host it around the US and really the world. So if you're like, hey, I live pretty far away from the Chicagoland area. It's not reasonable for me to get there. You can watch it from home or host it at your church. This is a great way for churches too to say, hey, we can't necessarily launch a ministry to support foster and adoptive families, but we can definitely bring the replanted conference simulcast to our, our church and open it up to the community and invite them in and get help them get the support they need. So yeah, it's October. Replantedconference.org has all the details there. Again, both websites will point you to the direction you need to go, but <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you guys both so much for being with us on the podcast today. And thank you for the important work you continue to do to serve and help others. Thanks so much, Jamie. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Jamie. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation with Jen and Josh as much as I did. If you want to know more about their work, as well as the research behind it, be sure to check out the show notes. In the notes, we've also given some links to resources to help you and your church, community, and organization become more trauma-informed. Thank you for listening to The Better Samaritan. We're grateful to journey alongside you as we continue to seek to do good better and faithfully. Mm